2: Hello and welcome to Live Life Better. This week saw International Women's Day taking place around the world to celebrate the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women and to call for an acceleration towards gender equality. So to celebrate International Women's Day, this week I'm handing over the reins to a guest presenter... She's the founder of Girls Talk London, she's an advocate for women in business, and she's a columnist for the likes of The Guardian, Look Magazine and Stylist. I'll be
1: back in a couple of weeks, I'll see you then. In the meantime, here is Vanessa Sanyorke.
3: Welcome to Live Life Better, the podcast from Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. I'm Vanessa Sanyorke, standing in for Dominic Frisby in this week's International Women's Day special. Now, this episode is for women and men because it's about how we can achieve equality in the workplace. We're going to be tackling some of the obstacles that hold women back at work and talk through how women can find the confidence to take the lead. So today, I'm really excited to be joined by two amazing women. Firstly, Edwina Dunn, who is a data pioneer and entrepreneur and the author of a fantastic new book, The Female Lead. Also with me today, I have the executive producer of the Women of the World Festival, Melanie Usube. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks. Thank you.
3: And later in the show, we'll be hearing from the country's longest serving female MP, Harriet Harman, who will be discussing her fight for equality and respect for women at work and in society at large. But first, ladies... We're living in very interesting times. So the last few months have been really interesting for women around the world. So we had the inauguration of Donald Trump in January and off the back of that, it sparked lots of protests and the women's marches attended by millions of women around the world in protest. So what do you think this means for women's equality in 2017? Are you hopeful or do you think we're going backwards?
4: Gosh, well, we actually went out to New York whilst the marches were taking place. So we sort of did a pre-launch of the female lead out there and we did it with our friends at the Donmar Theatre who were uh, running the trilogy, the all-female Shakespearean trilogy. So we met some fantastic women out there and women who'd actually gone on the marches So there was really a very, very strong feeling of, you know, I suppose disaffection, unhappiness, you know, real fear about what it all meant for the future. And um, seeing that quite raw was eye-opening. And it just seemed like a really good time to be celebrating inspiring and amazing women. So I suppose I'm a perennial optimist. I always think, you know, if something bad happens... It heralds something good. That's the way I always think about life.
3: So you think the women's marches actually shows that we're moving forward in terms of women's equality in the world?
4: I do. I think it's forcing people to do something, to realise if you don't do anything, things aren't all right. You know, things don't mend themselves. You've got to get involved. And I think, you know, the election kind of signalled a very... um, you know, a very certain point in time, which was, you know, actually no one expected it, but it's happened, and so now everybody's got to do something about it. Exactly.
2: What about you,
3: Melanie?
2: I like to be optimistic. However, I think that there were some incidences that forced us to really put a line in the sand. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, we used to say, after Barack Obama was elected, we said that we lived in post-racial society... And then now, with the advent of the internet and social media and sharing, then we're able to see in the innards, you know what, there's still a problem here, even though we have a black president. And I think that even though there was so much progress made by my grandmothers and my foremothers, then what we saw with the election of Donald Trump was that, no, there's still deep problems, actually. And so we had to draw a line in the sand to say, are these problems important to us in solving or not? So on one hand, it's a really bad thing, but on the other hand, it brought all of these issues out to the surface that we can actually deal with now rather than saying that we are, you know, post-racial or post-gender. So yes, I'm going to say I'm optimistic because you have to really kind of put you know, pull out the blackhead before you're able to heal.
3: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, Melanie, the Women of the World Festival, it's such an important event for women in the UK in particular. So it's kicking off this week. So can you give our listeners just an overview of the festival and tell us about the events that you're most looking forward to?
2: The Women of the World Festival, you know, one of my favourite events, got to be my talk started you know getting involved with it because two years ago I was approached to give a talk on how to get a pay rise Mm -hmm. and I remember I thought wow a course on how to get a pay rise okay I'll give it I think it was opposite kind of Caitlin Moran or Annie Lennox someone absolutely incredible so I remember Stevie Spring and I thought no one's coming to this and when we got there, we saw a queue you know, was just going up the stairs all the way to our room, you know, well before the session was supposed to start. It was definitely over, overbooked. Wow. And that's why I loved it so much, because we were giving women access to information that they typically didn't have. It was one of the places that I was able to celebrate being a woman and being a black person. It was all a beautiful kind of intersectional, integrational kind of way and, and I I think that now, you know, from its advent 10 years ago it truly is a festival. That's the best part about it, that even though we do speak about the difficult issues and we do offer fellowship and companionship and support to one another when we are speaking about domestic violence, but we are also teaching women how to hula hoop and we are also teaching women how to weight lift. The British weightlifting team is, is helping us then, and then it changes. It's community-driven. So in Wow Colombo, they are having a session on how to laugh from your belly because women aren't encouraged to laugh very loud. And in Wow Kathmandu, which we had two weeks ago, then the first women to scale Everest, and she was giving a talk on overcoming challenges. And so it's just a beautiful wedding. Twenty-three countries of two million women, the largest convener of women in the world. and. It's still fun and it represents every type, every kind of woman we do. We, we work really hard to make sure that it's not a festival for women. It is a festival to celebrate women for anyone who loves women. Men, women, children, boys, girls, everyone.
3: Great. And what are you really looking forward to this year? I mean, one of the talks that I'm really excited about is Angela Davis.
2: Well, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is going to be speaking about her new book, so really excited about that, excited about Jillian Anderson and excited about the content of her book as well, because, you know, sometimes you spend so much time advocating for others that we we do not think about the self-care, you know, just in terms of the blows that we take every day by walking the streets. And so I'm really looking forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to our discussion on toilets as well, right. so that, you know, how would you have the type of toilet that a country has actually is a good indicator of the gender, status of gender equality <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. Hey! Oh, it's, okay. Because, we, hey, the toilets are a big deal in our yeah. community. And so <laughs> I'm really, really looking forward to that as well. And I'm looking forward to some of the talks in regards to our bigger union that we have at the South Bank Centre with our Nordic cousins. So, you know, in looking at gender equality and what that's meant there and the the lessons and the learnings that we can take. Yes, I am looking forward to all of it, really. We are recording a lot more, so we are going to be making sure it's available to everyone.
3: Great. And why do you think it's so important? Because it seems a real staple in a lot of women's calendars, especially my friends. Everyone looks forward to WOW Festival in March. Why do you think it's so important?
2: I think that with um, the language of gender equality, uh, with and feminism and feminists, it almost became a dirty word for a while. Like this, you know, vigilante woman who was going around and 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 cutting men's penises off. And WoW gave us an opportunity to celebrate our femininity, celebrate gender gender equality, in in all types of ways as well. And so I think that at the same time we don't shy away from the issues you know some of the the breakthroughs that we have seen in regards to rape testimony um the, the starting up of the women's equality party it started there as well the you really do feel it's almost dare I say it, almost a drug when you are around thousands of women who are just so happy to be there and be recognised and be celebrated and be heard. And so I think that's, it is, it is almost a drug, even me thinking about it right now, I get a little bit of goose pimples. So to be uh, on the production side of it is it's an honour and it's a blessing.
3: Great. And Edwina, So your new book, The Female Lead, just came out in February. Congratulations. Thank you. Why did you decide to write this book? Well,
4: to be honest, when I started it, I literally just finished building a business and I'd worked solidly for 20 years. I was exhausted. And, you know, when I finished, I retired. Um, and I thought I'd stay retired. Um, but I always had in the back of my head that I get bored very easily, and um, so I thought about what mattered to me, and I I felt I'd worked in a very male-dominated um, career. I'd worked in retailing around the world. I'd worked in consumer products, goods. You know, I was in the boardroom, and I was usually the, the only woman there, and um, it didn't affect my career. I had a fantastic time, and loved the business I did. But I thought I might do something about telling a story around how women think about what they see in the mirror. You know, what is it that they see versus what other people see? And I thought this really became the idea of a documentary where it was stories, it was films, and it was very, very beautiful photographs. And so the whole thing... Um, And someone said it to me early on in the project, it's like there's nothing more amazing or interesting than the truth. And because I'd always come from a world of facts and figures, the truth seemed like something that I could relate to. And that's where
3: the book came from. So do you want to tell us a bit more about what the book is about? So what we
4: have done is find... 60 women who represent success, achievement, fulfilment in many different dimensions. So we didn't want it to be all about money or power. We wanted it to be about all the things that women might aspire to, so to be a great musician or a great cook or a great dancer or a humanitarian, so lots of different ways to be that best person. And we wanted it also to reflect the different continents of the world and different age groups. So we didn't want everyone to be over 40. Mm. We wanted some to be really young so that the new generations could relate to them. So... Actually, it's quite a tough order when you're only picking 60 women.
3: But you've got some really amazing women in this book. You've got Ava DuVernay, who's the mm. famous Hollywood director, who I absolutely love. Meryl Streep, who's an Oscar-winning actor. You've got Christine Lagarde, who's the managing director of the IMF. So some big names. So mm. who was the first person that said yes out of interest?
4: Oh, gosh. I can't remember the first person who said yes, but the person who was the turning point for us was Christine Lagarde. Ah, OK. Because when she said yes, we kind of stepped up a gear. She's so respected by everybody, and we know she's you know she's been through some very, very difficult times, not least recently, that everybody kind of felt, well, the project now has a kind of um, silver hallmark on it that we really like.
3: And then everyone kind of wanted to be a a part of it.
4: And then by the end, we we literally couldn't fit any more in because the budget was bust, and and at that point we had to stop.
3: What are some of your favourite passages and stories from the book? Well, there's Michaela de
4: Prince, who is prima ballerina, the Dutch Ballet Company. She's top of her game. She talks about how difficult it was to stand out when she was young. And she turned that into something that made her special rather than singled out as an oddity. And, you know, I suppose it took great courage for her to be different and to stick with it. And, you know, what fantastic success. And she says rather beautifully i'm one of the lucky ones you know i get to be a princess every day until i'm about 30 and of course we all know what girls want to be more than anything else yeah that's
1: great
3: so thinking about the theme of international women's day if i can move on to that so the theme is be bold for change and yes it's 2017 and we have come a long way in terms of women's equality, but we do still have a long way to go. So what do you think is holding women back from taking the lead today? Melanie, can we start
2: with you? Can I say something really simple? Time. I, really, do you guys, we got to do everything, you know? it's it, the, the thing is, is that we've empowered women Or we're trying to empower women to do all, to open up all of these opportunities. But on the other side, we haven't necessarily balanced out and dealt with the men in our lives as well. And what I mean by that is if we look at shared parental leave, you know, it's a real opportunity for us to say, let's let organizations give it to fathers as well. And so and, and actually, if you don't use it, you lose it. We didn't want to go that far. And so, where are women? Women are still doing everything in terms of the shared parental leave. Then they got to come back and have their careers and they're going to start their businesses. Then they're going to take care of their extended family members. And quite frankly, I think one of the things that we don't have is the liberty to be able to focus on. Other things, just because we ha- there's so much being asked of us right now. We have to either be superwomen at home and outside. And so I would really want us to just get some time back. And that means shifting some of the classic responsibilities associated with our gender over to men.
3: But how easy or hard do you think that will be? Because there is this sense of women we're trying to, or sometimes it can seem we're trying to have it all. Can we get that equal 50-50 split in the home?
2: You find with shared parental leave, and and this has worked in the other countries where it has worked, if you say use it or lose it, as in, you know, the men use it or lose it, then what happens is that there's a different bond that's formed with their children from inception. And you'll see that being manifest throughout all of the relationships in terms of taking care of the home. So, you know, it's not like we're saying both parents are staying home at the same time. What we're saying is that they're alternating. And that means that men are having that opportunity to share that bond or to create that bond with their children, create in terms of creating a home. And so countries that have done it, you'll see that they're more advanced. So, you know, the Nordic countries are a classic example. So how easy is it? I don't know. It's almost as easy as let's legislate equal pay. I don't know. Can we get some legislation for equal pay and some legislation for shared parental leave that's, you know, mandatory and effective? That's just me.
3: I know. In theory, it sounds easy in theory, but
2: <laughs> or, no, trying it's to, been well, done yeah. easily and other countries have done it They've successfully. Done it. So now I'm just thinking, come on, guys, you know, take the take the dust off and let's get to step in.
4: And actually, you know, Christiane Amanpour spoke about this and I think, you know, what she said made me rethink because there is a lot said about you can have it all, you know, or can you have it all? And she said you can have it all but not all at the same time. Oh,
3: yeah, I've heard that.
4: And, you know, I think that is important. It's about setting realistic standards. I mean, you ask what holds women back and I think for me a lot of it is about fear. It's that fear of failure as if somehow failure is bad. But I think, you know, anybody who's ever been involved in setting up a business or starting something, you know, failure is part of everyday life. Ava DuVernay talks about it. You know, getting started is messy. You make mistakes, you turn the wrong corner, you get up, you start again, it's uncomfortable, but you keep going. And I think somehow getting over that sense that failure is a bad thing and that you're either right or wrong is the thing, as women particularly, we have to give up. It's just part of life. It's part of learning.
3: I mean, what have been some of the obstacles that you have faced in your career? I mean, Melanie, as a woman of colour do you feel that you faced certain obstacles in your career?
2: Most definitely. As a woman, as a woman of colour, as just a you know a human being or just a, a gobby black girl with a big afro, yes, certainly. <laughs> I, I think that now Edwina is so right that there was a point where I had to say, um, you know, you use it or lose it. You know, you have this time and you have an opportunity. And I needed to get over the fear and... I'm not going to say that I was particularly courageous in terms of some of the choices that I've made that led me to the success that I've had. But I will say that my situation became so untenable and so unbearable to me that I was actually forced to change. Meaning, you know, I was I had a career in financial services starting off at a bank, you know, in the branch and, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, wait, is this what life is about? Like, this is what I intended. I wanted to be in the arts. I wanted to, you know, make money in dramatics and be executive producer like Oprah. How did this happen? And the situation became so untenable that I had to change. So obstacles, my biggest obstacle has always been myself. Uh, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm hard on myself, though. So I've, I've one of the obstacles is about giving grace as well to myself as well and loving myself.
3: What about you, Edwina? You know, being a, a woman in data, in tech, it's very male-dominated. You, did you face any barriers while setting up your business?
4: Um, when I first started talking to people about, I mean, you know, not only did I start a business, but I was working with my husband. You know, we used to go to the neighbour's house for drinks and we'd say to people, oh, we're starting a business. And people would turn to me and say, are you doing your husband's books for him? Wow and that was a bit of a shock at the time because, you know, we'd always been very equal and, you know, it was quite a shock to hear it. Some of the stories, actually, from the book were really lovely. Professor Dame Athene Donald talks about how she was asked to give her talk on her brilliant science at the Royal Institute and you have to give it in full evening dress. And so for the men, they would wear black tie, but she had to wear a full-length Ball gown and talk about physics, wow. which, you know, must have been quite difficult. Um, you know, I think there are many who have amazing stories. You know, there's a beautiful young Korean defector in the book, and she talks about her story and how she came out of North Korea and lived all of her young life fearing that her very thoughts belonged to the regime, that she couldn't even express her inner feelings. She talks about the walls having ears. And, you know, when she escaped, one of the objects she took with her was a razor blade because she needed to know that in her darkest hour she had control of her life. And, you know, when you hear stories like that, whatever I've been through... It's completely, you know, nothing by comparison. And I think that's the joy of learning these other stories. You realise when you look at people, you think, gosh, they're amazing, they're interesting, they have a fantastic career. But then when you see their story and what they've been through, you realise none of it was won easily
3: yeah and it, it's almost well, not almost it is inspiring. it makes yeah. you think, well, if I'm facing any obstacles and you read their stories and you see somebody else who maybe has a similar background to you, or has it harder, you kind of feel a bit more motivated isn't it i guess in yeah. your in your own career
4: well, Brenda Berkman is um a fireman and she was there during the terrible time in New York and the twin towers and you know she was the first female um firefighter um in New York, and she suffered such abuse and locking out of her own profession, her own trade, and she fought it, she won the right to be there. When you meet her now, she's funny, she's totally motivated with everything that she's done, but at the time, the things she faced were risking her life. I mean, you know... Her suit used to be tampered with.
3: Yeah, just, yeah. Um,
4: So, you know, it exists. Um, Even Meryl Streep in the book, you know, she talks about how people around her raise their eyebrows and roll their eyes when she says, we're going to talk about the thing again. And they say, oh, not the female thing again. And she says it beautifully. She says, says, yeah, we're going to talk about the female thing again because nothing's changed. And, you know, when she used the platform um, at the um, Golden Globes to say what she did, you know, I think that took tremendous courage yeah, very you know, in a moment of great celebration where all the cameras were fixed
3: on her she used it for good yeah, yeah to raise awareness i mean just thinking about um our listeners what do you think are some of the biggest barriers they may face in the workplace do you think they're still facing being overlooked for promotion maternity pay the gender pay gap do we do you feel that these are still some of the biggest barriers that they may face
2: yes most definitely i think that legislation wise we are there women are equal to men, legislation-wise. However, where we are now is the cultural shift and the little nuances. It's the mm-hmm. the micro decisions that are made by managers in terms of allocations of work that set women up for promotions. It's the fact that we are so secret about our pay grades and our pay grades are so wide that women don't know, or, you know, everyone, not even women, women aren't empowered to know. You know where they stand in the marketplace to say, this is what I should be making and this is the value of my work. I think it's also, um, this is a really great opportunity for us to really uh, engage with men and and, and engage with the struggles. And what I mean by that is, you know, with the shift in women's movement, then we have to acknowledge that there is a a, a corollary shift that happens with men. And so now it's about being on that journey together. you know, in some countries, the biggest killer of men under the age of forty is suicide, and so we have to look at that and somewhat not take response, but somewhat take responsibility for that because we're all in this race together, and so. I think, you know, it's not necessarily now about just kind of your firm, hard legislation or the politically correct means of, of operating and speaking. But now it's about those little micro decisions that we have to make. And that takes a lot of self-examination on behalf of our leaders as well as ourselves on the, the daily the decisions that we make. So it's quite difficult. I think we're in for a long haul. I'm optimistic, but I'm pessimistic. I think <laughs> we're going on the way up, but I do think that, you know, it's it's checking ourselves every day.
3: I mean, thinking about leadership, what can women do to take the lead in the workplace? You know, what kind of things can we do to make sure that, you know, we're advancing? Because if you look at the number of women that are CEOs of FTSE 100 businesses, last time I checked was six out of 100. I think we have to encourage women to step forward. I think women have to take a
4: responsibility for being very particularly noticing of other women. And, uh, you know, I think the truth is sometimes we are guilty ourselves of reverting to men ahead of really reaching out to what is clearly a fantastic network of women. Um, Someone was talking to me this morning. They came out with an idea that really blew me away that I just want to share with you. I wish it was my idea, but... She basically said that a big turning point for her
0: was... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehostcom Wondersuite.
1: Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection. To find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started. When she
4: was encouraging women to think about their next role, their next step up, and they would say, I can't do that. And, you know, what she did was turn to them and say, of course you can't do that. No one can do a job they've not done before. Mm. And, You know, it was such a clever way of thinking about it. What is it about men that makes them think they can do a job that they've never done before? Do you think it's confidence? Well, it's a form of confidence, isn't it? But no one can know that they're going to be good at it, yet somehow men do more than women. And this is something I think we have to get over, which is we have to believe in ourselves. We Mm -hmm. have to actually believe we can transition, we can learn. We can apply ourselves and we can do it.
3: I mean, Edwina, you've written about the steps to turn a dream into reality. So if someone's listening and they've been dreaming about becoming a leader at work or in their community, what would be your advice for them in terms of how they can make it happen? Well,
4: I'm so glad you asked that question because it's the kind of culmination of all these fantastic interviews and wisdom. And, you know, I was excited about it because I expected people to say, well, you're just born ambitious and you either are or you're not. And, of course, it's not true. Um, So the five themes that these women have revealed and talked about consistently are feed your passions. so don't do what someone else tells you to do because you should follow your heart your passion because you're going to last longer you're going to put more effort in because you love it stay curious so no one's the finished product you have to keep learning you have to keep moving so that kind of curiosity will allow you to continue your career one of the ones we talked about which is You become better by overcoming setbacks, Mm -hmm. by overcoming failures. Mm -hmm. That's part of what makes you better and stronger use your network you know actually we all know that if we surround ourselves with um bad friends we're not going to particularly like ourselves at mm-hmm. the end of the year you know you need people who make you feel better and we all need that kind of support and asking for help is a good thing not a sign of weakness
3: yeah agree
4: and then you know finally allowing The thing that perhaps embarrasses us when we're young the most, being different, because we all want to conform, we all want to just blend into the background, but daring to be different, celebrating what makes us stand out, be a bit odd is probably something that's going to signal our opportunity to fly, to be really successful in the future. Um, Nell Molino, who's just one of the most charismatic characters in the book, you know, she said when she was young, a teacher told her that she was bossy. And she said, good, because I actually learned to be a really good leader. Yeah. And she said people followed me, and that was Mm -hmm. because... Obviously, it wasn't the nicest way of saying it, but bossy means commanding.
3: Well, it's a good... You can turn it into a positive, really. Yeah. Exciting. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we've got another guest who has dedicated the last 30 years to talking about women's equality at a political level. She's just written her memoir, A Woman's Work. Here is Harriet Harman.
5: Well, I always said that I would never write my memoirs, and I thoroughly disapproved of my male colleagues sitting around meeting tables, even the cabinet table, writing their diaries, focusing on their legacy for the future, rather than focusing on the point in hand, and used to very, be very critical of their memoirs. But then when I looked at their memoirs that they had written, and I noticed that There was virtually no women in them. If you look at the photographs, there'd be a photograph of them with their wife or a woman that was working for them. But actually, women in politics seemed to be invisible, including, very important, the 100 Labour women MPs who came in in 1997 to Parliament and really changed the face of Parliament and changed politics and changed the course of government. So I felt I needed to write them into history. And there's a feminist called Sheila Robottom, who wrote a book called Hidden from History. And what she was basically saying is that if we leave it to men to write history, then women will not be included in it. So I'm taking a leaf out of Sheila Robottom's book and writing my own. I don't think there was ever a point where I realised I was a feminist. I think it sort of arrived almost as I was born. I was one of four sisters and it was a very obviously female household and we all believed that we were equal to any boy or any man and the idea that women should be subservient to men and that their life should be dedicated to looking after a man was definitely not for us. I was growing up at a time when the women's movement was gaining in strength and that... Movement, which wasn't a single organization. They did have a single organization in the US called the National Organization of Women Now. We never had an organization like that, but we had women throughout the trade union movement, throughout the Labour Party, women in business, women in the professions, women all around the country who had this idea that they were going to press for women to be equal. So, really, my sort of political journey arrived out of being part of the women's movement, and that was really in the 70s, the 1970s. When I first arrived in Parliament in 1982, and we'd produced these statistics which said there was 97% men and 3% women, it was like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you producing that information? it was regarded as such a hostile thing to do, hostile to Parliament, hostile to MPs. Now the idea that there should be a roughly equal number of women and men MPs is really regarded as a perfectly reasonable... And respectable aspiration, but at that point it was regarded as offensive, really, even to just count up the numbers was regarded as thoroughly rude to all the men that were in the House of Commons. So, really, it was very a very hostile place for the arguments that we were making. Now those arguments are mainstream, still. A lot hasn't changed and still we are outnumbered three to one by men in the House of Commons. But I think the aspiration for women to be able to work outside the home, to share in decision making, to be on equal terms to men, that is now accepted. And I think that that's a massive change. I think that it's really important to work with other women and recognize that it's very difficult to do things on your own and if you meet an obstacle or a challenge it's very easy to take it personally and for people to personalize it that you've done something wrong and that's why you haven't been considered for promotion or that's why you're not being allowed to go on a particular training course or that's why you're having difficulty at work and therefore solidarity of women working together is very important indeed and also to recognize that if you're working in a male dominated field you are a pioneer and it's always difficult for pioneers it will not be the smooth path of the person who is the insider and therefore from time to time you will have difficulties but it will be worth it because you will be then blazing a trail for other women to come after you on more equal terms. Well it's not a problem just for women to sort out and it is there is a role for men to help women on that journey. And I actually think that equality is better all round, it's better for women and men, it's better for personal relationships, not to have the sort of relationship that obtained in my mother's day, where the man was head of the household and the woman was subservient. I mean, that wasn't good for the man or the woman. And we know that the economy works better if everybody can play their part in it. And I think society works better when people are all on a more equal footing. Men have got a big stake in this, as well as women, so it's important for them to play their part. And of course, in families, children benefit by having a strong relationship with their father, as well as a strong relationship in their mother. So what can men do about it? I think that as well as men supporting women in their quest for equality, and I think it is really important, that they also press forward on issues which concern them. For example paternity pay and leave. Ironically, it is women that have fought for paternity pay and leave because, of course, it actually is important for a woman to be able to be equal in the world of work for the father of the child to be participating in the child's upbringing. So, actually, it's women and the women's movement and women in government and in Parliament that have fought for paternity pay and leave. I'd like for us to take a rest from that now and actually for men to take it forward And often men say, it's very difficult for us to say to our manager, we need to take time off for a sick child or for family leave. Well, it was always difficult for us as women to say that as well, but we fought for the ability to do that and to not be discriminated against when we did that. So now I think it's time for men to step up and fight their corner and fight for their rights to be able to play their role in the family as well as their role at work. The thing is that my younger self wasn't taking advice from anybody who was older than me. We were going to do everything completely different. And I looked sideways to my peers and other women of my own age. I certainly didn't look to older women because... Obviously, we were going to do things much better than them. We were going to do things completely differently. And that's how I feel about younger women now. I dread the thought that they should follow in my footsteps. I want them to do much better than I've been able to do and have a much more happy and successful uh, and less tormented life than I've had. And they need to make their own way in the future. So I think the key to the women's movement and women's advance is not older women telling younger women, This is what I've done. Do what I did, but actually make your own way, but do it in solidarity with other women. I mean, this is my thing as I'm always saying, I'm not going to tell younger women what to do. I always do tell them what to do. So I have failed to abide by my own instructions. But in a way, I hope they're not listening to me and they're making remaking the world for the future.
3: That was Harriet Harman discussing her memoir, A Woman's Work, which is available now. You're listening to Live Life Better, an International Women's Day special with me, Vanessa Sanyalke. Also with me today, we have Edwina Dunn, who is a data pioneer and entrepreneur and also the executive producer of the Women of the World Festival, Melanie Usube. So Edwina, do you think that women speak about ambition in a different way to men in terms of guess, career progression? We've talked a bit earlier about terms of how men, for example, they might not be necessarily know for sure if they can do a certain job, but they might go for it, whereas women, sometimes we feel that we have to maybe meet all of the requirements or feel that we can 100% do the job, but we don't necessarily go for it. Why do you think we speak about ambition differently?
4: Um, I think we definitely do. I think the point you've just made is exactly right. You know, if we're looking at a job role and there are two things a woman can't do, she probably won't go for the role, whereas if there are only two things that a man can't do, he'd probably go, gosh, I'm nearly a shoo-in for that (laughs) job. So, you know, I mean, there is a contrast. And I think the degree of self-belief and the language that goes with that, which is, you know, I'm made for this role, I'm fantastic, you know, I would be the perfect leader, it doesn't sit well. I mean, even when asking women to appear in this book they all all of them said are you sure you mean me have you asked so and so and there's always that sense of I'm not that great have you asked someone else and I think that's the thing we've got to stop doing Mm -hmm. it's a bit like when someone compliments
2: you and you sort of brush it off and you, you say, oh, yeah. oh the old... Sometimes people get abusive. They're like, oh, <laughs> you're so stupid. I know. <laughs> I just gave you a compliment. Why are you telling me that I'm stupid? I don't understand. But why
3: do we do that? We just say, oh, yeah. that was just a silly old rag that I put on. Yeah. It was, no, it's a beautiful dress. It's so you 10 years
2: old or it
4: costs tuppence, yes. you know. Um, I think we have to just stop doing it because I think a lot of these things are in our control. Mm-hmm. I think it's about pausing, thinking twice and saying... Do I want to make myself the sweet, likeable, innocent? Or do I want to show that inside I'm on fire? Mm -hmm. You know, there is something I want, I believe in and I can do. And somehow we've got to try and get that
3: language and the disparity in the language across. I mean, Melanie, you've worked in the financial services and the corporate sector for many years In terms of women sort of being upfront and forthright about sort of wanting to be maybe the future board member or wanting to progress into senior management, you know, why do you think sometimes women aren't as, I don't know if this is the right word, ballsy to kind of really make it known to their manager from when they sort of begin at work that their ambitions are to, you know, go to the top?
2: Unfortunately, the stats from, I think the stats are from here and the U.S. that says when women are ballsy or when they ask for more money or they ask for the ambition – that they don't get it and they're ill-regarded by their peers. So it's not necessarily just in our heads. There is a negative perception around a woman stating what she wants and going for something and reaching to higher planes. And so, you know, right off the back of Edwina's point, there is so much I can do to pour knowledge and confidence into my little sister's However, you know, what are we doing to actually change the structures in which I'm raising her into? And so how do we build more room for women to be, you know, ballsy and to ask for things and to actually expect and demand things? I think... I always say that I would love the leaders of our country to have to sit all of the ten year old girls in school in one big stadium and tell them that no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work, you will always get paid less than men. Eighty percent doesn't matter if you are better than them doesn't matter you know it just doesn't matter what course you've taken, mm-hmm. you will always get paid just by virtue of you being a woman, so you know what? Like, what is a woman supposed to say to that? You know, what does she learn automatically just from that? She learns that, quite frankly, in terms of playing the lead, it may not be to her advantage. So, you know, I took a lot of flack, I think, as a little girl because I was, you know, a leader and, and bossy. I don't think we the structures aren't ready for the the girls that we're raising right now. I can't wait mm. for the next generation because they're just de- they're very de- ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. demanding Yeah. Demanding they're <laughs> just like expecting. So it's great.
4: One of the things that's been really interesting in taking this book into some of the big, very male-orientated organisations out there. What I found really interesting is there's a moment when you're talking to the board of directors who are very largely male and you say, maybe this is something you'd like to share with your daughters or nieces. And there's a look that comes over their face when they suddenly realise that, you know, their daughters are growing up into this world where it's stacked against them. Mm -hmm. And actually... Telling them to be pretty and clean and careful is not always encouraging them to reach as high as they can. And I think they're aware of it, but the problem, as you rightly say, is, you know, what do you do about it? Because what do you change
3: first? So what can our listeners do about it? So thinking about sort of how they can lead better in in the workplace, if we're trying to give our listeners some advice, do you think it would be it's okay to be ambitious or they should be ambitious? They Should they vocalise their aspirations in the workplace to their managers? What would you say to that?
2: I would always say first, you know, to take some time and decide what you want. Compensation comes in many forms and it's about making decisions about what you want to do with your time. And so, for example, for me, I wanted to work for a charity And so, or I wanted to start my business and that means that I may have taken the pay cut But then in order to, you know, do a sideways sweep from my career to work in another sector. And so I really do think that it's an opportunity for women to kind of say, wait, what do I really want? Because maybe it's not about having the corner office. Maybe I just want a job that where it won't impact if I leave at three o'clock to pick up my children and then go back online at 7 p.m. So I always encourage women to have that first kind of connection in regards to, you know, forget everyone else, you know, and and it, it may be unpopular whatever.
3: So for women to really assess what are the important exactly.
2: values in their life. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And then behave accordingly. So if you want the quarter office, and you're, there's going to be some sacrifices, girl, what are you trying to do? Yes. <laughs> you know, there's going to be some sacrifices. You're going to have to work in late. You're going to have to be you know, really strategic about mentoring, about, you know, the kind of networking as well. You know, there's the work that can be done, but I think that first um, rather than just kind of saying, go, 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 go. Uh, they always say this, that, you know, if you adopt the growth mindset, then hard work at, in your mid-20s always surpasses natural talent. Yeah. Always. It doesn't yeah, matter it does. if we are talking about John McEnroe or mm-hmm. Michael Jordan or Beyonce, Jennifer Lopez. You know, some of these people were born with no talent, um, but they worked very, very, very hard. hard. And some people were born with all the talent in the world and they didn't work at it, and so then they fizzle out quite quickly. So you can do everything and anything that you want. But at the same time. Yes. Well, there is
4: a lovely phrase, isn't it? Which is, it's funny how the harder you work, the luckier you get. Exactly. And I I think the thing to avoid is hedging your bets. Work out what you can do, what you can do better than anything else. Not better than anyone else, but just better than anything else. Mm -hmm. And then work really, really hard. I think hedging your bets and saying, I'm not really doing this and I'm not really doing that and I don't really know what I want to do, is almost the worst possible thing you can do. Being at half speed in your 20s, worst
3: decision you can make. So just really going for it, really? Going for for whatever
4: it is. It It doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about power. It's about the fact that you will never feel more vibrant, more able to absorb knowledge, more close to people, in the same sphere, doing the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's about, you know, at the end of it, what, what are you going to value? Are you going to value that you went out another night and
3: got drunk or are you going <laughs> to value that you actually did something really important that day? Exactly. So just thinking about giving young women accessible role models, who are some of your role models?
4: Um, I... I'm going to have to admit to the fact that I had a male role model. was well, someone who I thought was just genius that's, that's when great. when <laughs> I was young. And it was Red Adair, which you, I mean, you may never have heard of him, but Red Adair was the most amazing firefighter. He used to put out the oil fires in Kuwait. And he was the last port of call when the fire was out of control. And, you know, he commanded the best of resources at the highest fee and he swept in and sorted out a problem that no-one else could. And I thought he was like James Bond. (laughs) I thought he was amazing. But he was a man and he wasn't a particularly handsome man, I have to say, but he completely set me alight. And I remember that was what I thought an exciting job was all about. No, I didn't end up doing that, but in a sense the work I then did was really about trying to be the very, very best in a certain field and being the ones called in when companies had tried everything
3: else. That's
2: good.
3: What about you, Melanie?
2: I have a composite role model, if that makes sense. So traits from women that I've seen or met along the way that I've really adopted. So if I think about the, the hard work ethic of Beyonce, I know. I know people don't, but that, I look at her and she she works so hard (laughs) on her craft. She never took it for granted. And so I love looking at that. I love Oprah and I love the fact, um, I love the fact that she was an executive producer. Um, You know, I left her on her show, but when she started really producing and creating and owning her content, I love that. I also love... um, Christiane Amanpour, because she had her baby, her first baby at 42. And so me approaching my 40s now, I'm thinking, you know, I just, I didn't plan it right. You know, I didn't really think about it. So all of a sudden I'm like, "Uh oh, what's going on here? And so she is really a role model for me in that area to say, you know, you can make those decisions later on in life. And, you know, it's not, it's not too late, Mel. And then... JK so um Jude Kelly she was my role model before I I started working for her because the way that she draws people out the just the, the ridiculous amounts of grace and empathy that I saw in you know in terms of the way that she existed with people it's absolutely amazing, and so then now, you know, when I heard that she was looking for an executive producer, key the Oprah line, all of a sudden it was just like, oh my goodness, it's a beautiful combination. So, I do believe in composite role models because I think that there, you know, there's little bits of me that I want to keep. I'm kind of, I'm kind of starting to like me now. Into my, you know, he starts to, so I'm going to keep these little bits. But then there's so much for me to learn. So I think with Harriet Harmon, my mother was like that. She said, you know what, Melly, I bought my house at this age so I need you to buy your house like 10 years younger. (laughs) I didn't work this hard for you to do the same thing that I did. I worked this hard so that you can surpass me in every kind of way and so I totally understand and, and, and see where she's coming from.
3: As we're coming up to the end of the show now, what would be your one piece of advice to our listeners on how they can live life better as leaders?
4: Mm. Well, gosh, that's like the whole thing in one go, isn't it? I would say don't overthink it. Get started, as the wonderful Ava DuVernay would say. Do it with passion and have
2: fun. I always have a different piece of advice for the different point of my life that I am in. And so right now, the lesson that I'm learning, so, you know, you teach what you learn, Mm -hmm. is um, if it's not, hell yes, it's hell no. So when you go shopping... And you see that blouse and you try it on, you're like, oh, it's okay. That's not what I want to feel like. You know, There's I com- yeah. compare and contrast to when you get that dress on and you honestly want to make love to yourself in the mirror <laughs> and you take the selfie shot yes. and you send it to a friend. That I, And I want that feeling. I want a carefully curated life where I feel that passionate about the things that I've chosen and empowered enough that I have chosen the things that are in my life. So I would say if it's not hell... Yes, then it is a hell no.
3: Great. Well, that's all we've got time for. So thanks so much for joining me today, Melanie and Edwina. It's been so inspiring to hear about all of the amazing projects that you're working on. So, you know, Melanie, I'm looking forward to going to Well WOW Festival. Good luck with it, Melanie. Thank you. And Edwina, congratulations again on your book, The Female Lead. It's out now.
4: Thank you so much. And don't forget, you can go online and volunteer a school to get this for free.
3: Thanks again to our wonderful guests. You can find out more about the authors on this show by heading over to virgin.com and we'd really love to hear how this show has inspired you so you can get in touch with us on Twitter at penguinlivinguk using the hashtag livelifebetter. For now, that's a goodbye from me and thanks for listening.
1: with over 500 million dollars in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/pod24. That's rocketmoney.com/pod24. rocketmoney.com/pod24.